All right, let's take our Bibles, Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 25. We've been going through Matthew 5 and 6, and we'll end here in chapter 7 here in a few months or maybe a few decades, depending on how long it takes to get through that. So uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one there on the pew. You can take that home. That's our gift to you. And uh, we're going to talk today about uh, about worry and about money and about paying monthly bills and things of that nature. So before we get into the warriors and the free spirits, let's just open up God's word and we'll read verses 25 in chapter 6 all the way through verse 34. So let's, uh, let's read God's word. The Bible says, and these are the words of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious or by being worrisome, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, That even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God, and notice Jesus' argument here, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, or the people who don't know God, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows, He knows that you need them all. But, seek first, help me out church, seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Just going to be honest. Most people today struggle with worry to some degree. Would you agree with that? There are some people, and they don't worry about anything. A lot of times, those are people that don't organize anything. These these are people that they just kind of show up. There's no planning. There's no financial planning. There's no uh, cleaning the house. There's no cutting the grass. They just kind of they just kind of I mean they just kind of float throughout life. There's no type of real planning. And some of you, you will, you will plan to plan. Know somebody like that? Like you will block out part of your schedule to actually plan to get things organized. Here's what Jesus does. He cuts to the heart of whichever type of person you or I are. And let's just get the, the main idea of what Jesus is trying to get across here is simply this. And this is countercultural. Let's just say, this will make some of us feel uncomfortable, but according to Jesus, worry is a lack of faith. Worry is us saying, God, you really don't have this. 
I know your word says that you're all powerful, that you're all knowing, that you're loving, that you care. But I really don't think that you can take care of me and my family. Therefore, what I'm going to do, God, is I'm going to start worrying for you. Now, most of us who claim to be followers of Jesus could say, yes, I believe God is who he says he is, right? Like when we read God's word and when we look out in nature, we're like, dude, this is, this is some crazy design going on here. The trees and the rivers and the animals and how things continue to go and how, how we're like just at that perfect distance, right? From the sun to where they say, oh, it's just at the right distance to where it will warm our tomatoes, but it won't freeze us out and the whole planet turn into a ball of ice, nor will the whole planet burst into flames. I mean, all of this, we say, God is amazing. He is great. But here's the thing. Some of us can treat the Lord like the crazy uncle. Remember we looked at that illustration a few weeks ago? We all have somebody in our life and maybe, maybe he fought in a war. Maybe he built a business. But now your uncle is just... He's not, he's not all there. Y'all okay? I mean, he's, he's at, he's at the family gatherings and you're like, you, you speak, you're nice to the uncle, but you don't want to let the crazy uncle control anything, right? Like be in charge of something, like even popping popcorn and it just, everything goes crazy because the uncle is crazy. Some of us say this about Jesus. We're like, man, Jesus, he died for my sin. And we just read from the word of God. This is Jesus telling us not to be anxious. God provides for the birds. He provides for the flowers and all these things. I know Jesus is Jesus, but I I really don't know if I can trust him with my life. And the way that we know if we're living a life of faith every day is if we are coming to place where we say, God, You are in total control of this. I don't know how these things are going to work out, but I trust you with this problem. The way that we know if we're not walking in faith is if we are filled with worry. Now, somebody said that worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get anything accomplished. And we could take it a step further according to Jesus. Jesus is all about discipline. Jesus is all about us serving him and loving him. But here's the thing. Not only does worry not get anything done, but if we are preoccupied with worry and anxiety and we allow stress to kind of like seep into our heart to where we are a stress-filled person, we are not truly trusting God. And we're really saying, God, your word says you're awesome and you can take care of this, but I really don't think you can. Here's what Tim, Tim Keller said. He says the gospel will always cause offense because it shows us having a need that we cannot meet. Some people wrestle with control. Can I get an amen on Sunday morning? We like, we like to be in control. Whether it's driving or whether you're a backseat driver or a passenger seat driver, you like to be in control. But the Christian life is honestly about handing over control, not being Undisciplined, not being crazy, but simply saying, Lord, you're in control of my life. And the gospel tells us that we cannot meet the need for control. And if you and I, this is what Pastor Rick Warren said, he said that if you are a person who has to be in control of everything in your life, you will live in a very, very small circle. Do you agree with that? I think we've got a lot of Christians across the world today, especially in America, 
And we say that we believe the Bible, but when it comes to worry and trusting God, it seems like we just can't do that. And we've got to be honest and say worry is simply a lack of faith. You see, Jeff, what does Jesus tell us to do about it? Go with me to verse 33. This is the other bookend on this passage. He says, but... So in other words, contrasting worry, do this. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What do we mostly stress out about? A lot of times it's things. The Bible says that God will provide those things. Mark Driscoll said this. He says, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. Now, if you're reading your Bible carefully here, whether you've been in church a long time or whether you're new, you'll notice in verse 25, it begins with the word, therefore. Verse 31, the word, therefore. Verse 34, therefore. What Jesus is doing is he's building a case saying, don't worry about your life. Would we all agree today and say that it's a good thing not to worry? It's, here's the thing. No, nobody today, unless you're talking about like PhD, Mr. Worry, like, like they've got a corner on worry. They're the type of person, whether it's your mom, your dad, your grandmother, a friend, a husband, a wife that says, well, you don't ever worry about anything. So somebody, right? Somebody has to worry about you for you. They do it out of well-meaning, but say if you're worrying about it, it's not going to do me any good, and it's going to make you go crazy, and if you go crazy, that will make me go crazy. It feeds over into everything else. So Jesus here, he says, don't be anxious about your life. We say, why? Why would Jesus tell me not to be anxious? Well, Jesus is saying if we back up to verses 19 through 24, we covered this the week before last, where Jesus says, look guys, when you're starting out in your life or when you meet me, when you're middle-aged or when you get saved and you're a senior citizen, don't lay up treasures on earth. That means don't let everything in your life be about the bottom line. Don't let everything in your life point towards retirement. And if anything, for our seniors, retirement should be a beautiful time of serving Jesus because it means that you have more time than you did when you were full-time in the workforce. And if you are a senior citizen, you can get away with far more than the younger people can. Amen? Like if some of the young bucks show up and they start sharing the gospel, some lost guys, are like, well, that's, that's a big tree. I'll see if I can cut him down. But if you're an older man or an older lady, I mean, most people are going to give respect and you can lower the boom on them in the name of Jesus. Because you've got the time, you've got the cultural collateral, you've got the cultural trust there. So Jesus is saying, look, regardless of your situation in life, regardless of your life stage, don't spend your life laying up, what's it say there in verse 19? Treasures on earth where moss and rust, rust destroy and where thieves break through in steel. We talked about that a few weeks ago, man. Even if you've got, you've got some family heirlooms, you've got some guns, you've got some rare vase work and you buy yourself a nice, I mean a gun safe, not a gun cabinet, a gun safe and you bolt that sucker to the floor, there's still somebody that if they're watching your comings and goings and they have half of a mechanical brain, they can break into your safe. Some of you are like, dude, I just spent like a thousand bucks on a safe and you just ruined it. I told my wife it would be worth it. You know, and it's not. 
It doesn't matter what you or I accumulate. There's somebody out there that's probably willing to risk big pain to get what you have worked so hard to acquire. That's why Jesus says, but, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Jesus is not against money. He's simply saying, use your money, use your income, use your home. This is, this is something we've lost in our culture. Use your home in such a way to give hospitality to people so there can be friendships there. And that's something I would, I would love to be able to do, but I struggle because, man, if I have people over to eat, they're going to look at the food and be like, really? This, is he trying to, is he trying to poison me? But I mean, if you've, if you've got food skills or, you know, you're married, you guys can like collaborate on that. What an amazing thing it would be to use the house that God has given you to live in, to give you the, the paycheck to buy the food, to have people over and have not awkward friendships, but true friendships, whether you're watching a game, whether you're playing board games, whether you're hanging out, you use that for the glory of God, you see. See, Jesus is saying, don't just look at the financial Wall Street bottom line, but use what you have for God's glory and to reach other people. And then he he goes down to verse 24. This is really where Jesus loves us enough to tell us the truth. Aren't you glad that Jesus was not a sugarcoater? Check it out. No one can serve two masters. So how many people can serve two masters? No one. He will hate the one, verse 24, and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Here he gives a summary. You cannot serve what? God and money. You know what Jesus is saying here? Number one, you can't say, I love God, but yet be filled with the desire for more and more and more and more and more. And if you've, you're reading your notes, you know that something is in there. As you say, Jeff, why did you put that in our notes on a sermon on not worrying? Notice what it says. Going back to verse 24. If money is your master, then you have much to worry about. If money is your master, you're either going to be consumed by materialism. Now, please hear me. In our culture, you'll be consumed by materialism, which will lead you into unwise debt. You will find yourself buried in debt for things that you don't necessarily need to provide because you are obsessed with what you think will bring you happiness and what you think will be fun. But let's just all come together and say, man, gross, like big time credit card debt is not fun. And if you're financially minded, you realize that once you go into debt, whether it's something... And by the way, we're not saying God is against nice stuff. But if, you, if you're if you struggling to make ends meet, for example, and you're a dude, and you go out and buy a brand new Harley on credit, how can you enjoy that? Because you're going to end up thinking how much money it costs to ride per minute. And then you say, well, Jeff, that's not me. That's not me. I, I, I haven't given my life to Christ, and I'm actually good at finances. But it, it's not credit card debt. I'm rolling. Like, I've got bank. Yo. I, I've, I've got this taken care of. I've got money in the 401k. We've got, we've got you know, we're wheeling and dealing, buying stuff, selling stuff. I got this. You're probably in a deeper predicament because you are obsessed with what you have, you see. What you have has taken hold of your heart. And that's dangerous because money can't provide salvation. Fred, that was a great testimony about, I mean, the greatest thing that we have, our greatest need is salvation and forgiveness of sins. 
So regardless if you have money, regardless if you don't, regardless if you owe people more money than you think you'll ever earn in your lifetime, Jesus is saying that you cannot serve God and money. So if you do have money as the driving principle of your life, then you do have much to worry about. You're glad you came to church today. Isn't that encouraging? But here's where it can change. Here's, it all changes with a heart change. We can give 50 principles on how to get out of debt, 25 ways to beat your credit cards, all of that type of stuff. But it has to start with a heart change to where we say, God, I am a sinner. I need you. And he comes into our life. He fills us up and makes us brand new. And Jesus says there in verse 25, he says, life is more than simply physical stuff. Then Jesus goes to something that's honestly pretty funny if you take it in context. He's talking to people that are stressed out, people who don't know how they're going to uh, make ends meet. It is a very difficult financial time. In fact, if we had been there when Jesus preached this sermon, we would have probably been a day laborer. And not somebody who works for Kelly Services or Manpower or a temporary job um, company, but people who literally would make in a day what they needed for that day. And they maybe had a cloak. That's why Jesus was so serious about saying, don't take more than you need from, from your neighbor in terms of debt. Notice what he says in verse number 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I mean, can you just imagine the excuses to say, now, Jesus, hold on, taxes. And Jesus is like, look at the birds. Like, come again? Like Jesus said, you, you don't understand. I've, I've got to pay the payment for my land. Jesus is like, look at the birds. I mean, can, do you get this? Jesus is bringing three therefores. Like all of this talk about money comes to a head right here. And Jesus is talking about looking at birds. You know, if you had been there, people would have looked at each other before they looked up for birds. Like, did you just hear that? Jesus just said, look at the birds. But notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying that if God takes care of these little creatures that fly around, he will take care of you. Now, we know that birds don't have official employment, but birds are not lazy, right? Some people have come to this passage and said, well, Jesus says, take no thought for your life. That means that I should not work. That means I should not plan or save or do anything of value. No, Jesus is saying, look, the birds do, listen, they do what they've been created to do. We have been created to love God. Aren't you glad? We've been created to bring him glory, to obey him, to enter into a loving relationship with the God of the universe. And here's the greatest part about it. It's God is the one who initiates that. And when we come into a loving relationship with him, we are filled with joy and God gets the glory. So it's kind of like birds are created to do what birds do. We are created to love God and be in a relationship with him. So Jesus is saying, those who follow me, they don't have to fear about being left out in the cold. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, the Bible says, fear God and obey his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Then notice what Jesus says. He says, not only look at the birds, but look at the flowers. And he's referring to clothing here. Um, there are some of us and um, that enjoy finding clothes. Uh, there are some like myself and I could work eight to ten hours of manual labor, come in, get a shower, eat some food, I'm good. Thirty minutes in a mall, I'm dead. 
I don't have the endurance for it. Neither does our friend back here. Um, and the, seriously, we, there are some who enjoy. They say, I enjoy, you know, getting things that are nice and, 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 and searching for good deals. Now notice what Jesus says about that. If that's what consumes our life, clothes and food. Can I get a witness? Anybody enjoy eating in here? Come on, come on, all over the place. Good. He says in verse 32, look at it with me. For the whom? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. What Jesus is saying, this is so life-changing and mind-changing and life. He says, listen, the lost people who don't have anything to look forward to, all that life is about is good food, good clothes, good friends, and good times. Because a person who doesn't know Jesus, there's going to be that day to where when they said, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. It is those folks, they don't have anything better. Now, here's the beautiful thing for the follower of Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus loves us. Amen, church? We know that he died for us. We know that he pursued us when we were running away from him. So here's the thing. God can allow us to enjoy some wearing something that's nice. And it's not mismatched. And there are some of us guys and we just don't give a rip either way. You can enjoy that. You can enjoy food that God gives. That's why it's so cool, man. When you are at your home with your family or you're out with friends on the job and you actually pray before you eat. Sometimes that weirds people out. But do we think about it? That that food, man, that food that came from that plant that was planted by a farmer and he planted it by putting a seed in the ground. That seed came from a plant. You trace it all the way back and it comes from God. It come all good and all good gifts come from God. So here is the Jesus is getting to the point of saying, look, you have something better to live for. You can enjoy the blessings of God, but there's something greater coming. There's something greater. You see, a Christian, a follower of Christ, understands that this is not our world. You ever gone off on a long trip? It's been a good trip, but you're, bad, you're, you're glad to be back home. You know what I'm saying? You can come, you can sleep in your own bed. You can, you can go into your own refrigerator. You don't have to worry about that being awkward. You can, you can, you can set the temperature on what you want and set it on. You can have people over if you want. Well, some of y'all, it, it, that's the source of your marriage conflicts right there, the temperature. But you can have people over. You can have an evening by yourself. All of that, it's like, oh, man, when I'm home, I feel that I can rest. That I can rest. We as believers understand that this is not our home. That's why Jesus says there in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God. He's saying that there are better things coming. Do we realize that the Christian life, if... Jesus didn't rise from the dead is crazy. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, but we got a bunch of crazy people in here. Realize that? The apostle, the apostle Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, he says, if, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are of all men to be most pitied. Have you been around a person before and you're just like, bless their heart. 
It can be because, man, they have no social skills and they, they, they're they just standing there awkward. They don't, they don't know what to do and they're looking at their feet and then they say something that's really loud and everybody's like, why did you do that? And they feel even more weird. Or where there's people that they just, they just don't know. I mean, they wear stuff and, and some of you ladies are like, oh, bless his heart. I don't even know him, but I want to just invest in a benevolence ministry to say, can I take you shopping? Because why, why, why would you, why would you do that? Why would you wear that? I and mean, all, all of those things, we, we sometimes have pity for people. The apostle Paul says the biggest losers, if this is not true, and Jesus is just some teacher that taught some good stuff, you know, love your neighbor, things like that, that we tell our kids when they're small so that they don't murder each other in children's church. And we just try to, to, to civilize them to some degree. If that's all that Jesus says, then he's saying, you guys need to have the whole world look at you and be like, oh, poor Christians. I mean, they're, 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 why, why, why would you, why would you do, why would you go to church? I don't know. Like you could, you could seriously be at the, you could, you could be at Smith Mountain Lake. You could, you could be out on your boat or your kayak. Why, I mean, why would you go to church? You like, they pass around something that you put money in. Like you lose money going to church. Why, why would you do that? And oh my word. Like that, that crazy pastor at the Rocky Mountain Baptist Church, he was talking about like biblical giving and that T word, tithe. See you later. I'm out of there. You see, the world doesn't, the world doesn't understand. We don't do things out of legalism. Amen, church? We don't do things like, man, if I don't do this, God's not going to love me. We understand there was never anything that we could do to get God's love. Have you realized that yet? Or some of you trying to earn something that's already been purchased for you. To earn, to try, to get what Jesus has provided. The Bible says, according to Jesus, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus is saying, I'll take care of your flowers. I'll take care of birds and I will take care of you. And here's where it really begins to hit home. Where we see what Jesus teaches there in verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all of these things. He's saying that worry, please hear me. Worry is a main, a central ingredient in a godless outlook on life. That means that if you are characterized by worry, you may say that you believe that the God of this book exists, but in reality, you don't think he has your back. Because if he did, then you would not be consumed with worry. Please hear me clearly. Worry is a lack of faith, and worry is telling God you're not strong enough. If we say, well, Jeff, worry comes natural. A lot of things come natural, don't they? Pulling somebody out of a car who's been a jerk on the highway at the stoplight in Roanoke. There's more than one stoplight in Roanoke, but you get the picture. That comes natural. Being a jerk comes natural. Being selfish comes natural. But the gospel changes our hearts. Remember that old song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love? You see, it doesn't matter to Satan whether we become consumed with materialism by what we have to where our life is all about our stuff and our stuff is more important than the people in our life it doesn't matter to satan whether it's that or whether we just worry about how our life is going to go both of those distract from god being in control 
the pack that this uh this last fall i took my dog to to the vet before before she passed and um she was always afraid to go in, into the vet's office. A black, she's a black lab. Have you ever noticed the personality of dogs when you go into the vet's office? There was this Great Dane. I mean, it's more like a great horse. And this, uh, this Great Dane comes through, and I've got my dog sitting over here. And the Great Dane came through, and right when they, it came through the door, it just tucked its head like that and just started to shake. Went over into the corner, and the owner sat down and the great dane just like buried its head in the owner's stomach shaking and then guess who the next customer was little hitler in the form of a chihuahua and this chihuahua came in and i mean you, you like you imagine if he, if the chihuahua spoke english it was like he was telling everybody in there do you want some of me I mean, he was like, he was calling out like every dog, you know, and I mean, it's sure he was saying rude things to the Great Dane because he looked at the Great Dane up and down, just started going off in dog ease. And I thought this chihuahua would take on anybody or anything in this vet's office. And yet we've got this like possibly 150 pound plus monster of a horse of a dog hybrid. And yet the Great Dane was too afraid to even show its face. And I thought about that and we were studying this passage where Jesus says, don't worry. Why? Jesus gives all these reasons and they come back to one central reason. Don't worry because God exists and God is in control. It's kind of like we're, we're the great Dane. We've got the power of Jesus Christ. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have brothers and sisters in Christ who are willing to live life alongside of us, willing to be our friend truly, not just somebody who's an acquaintance. And sometimes we get so afraid when we don't have a reason to be. You see, now hold on, Jeff. I've got some things that are coming up in my, in, in the future in my life and they're looking very scary. Do we realize that God is sovereign? Sovereign means that He is in total control and nothing happens outside of God allowing it to happen. Which means that even if you encounter times of difficult finances or personal sickness, that God still is in control. And even if it's a time to where we hurt deeply and we are wounded by what happens for the rest of our life, we, 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 we never forget what happens. It means that Jesus has said, look, God's going to take care of the birds, the flowers. He'll take care of you. Let me give you three texts here that will help you if you worry. Number one, Philippians chapter four, verse six. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. First Peter through, uh, 5, 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting. And that's, that's like to throw, to toss. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Psalm fifty-five twenty-two: Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Notice what Jesus says here in verse 34. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. Jesus is saying that you and I were not designed to worry about what we cannot control. And do you know what we cannot control? What happens tomorrow? 
None of us know how tomorrow's going to turn out. The book of James say, it says that we may say, well, we're going to go to such and such a city and conduct such and such of a business. He says, but what we should say is rather if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. So Jesus says, do not be anxious. So how, how, how do I work that out? Jesus says, with everything you do, verse 33, everything you do, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek God first in everything in your life, of your family, and your job. Point people to Jesus Christ. And in doing that, it preoccupies your mind with the things of the Lord. That way you don't have just a idle mind as a devil work, devil's workshop to where we simply sit around and worry about ourselves. But we can look and we can say, God, I believe you can do something even when I don't see a way.